0: (laughs) So, like, biometrics are the the study of of how we measure the human body, and as biometrics apply to uh, information technology, computer systems, they can be a way to guarantee or grant access to uh, something that should be protected. So, for instance, you might have a uh, a thumbprint to gain access to something. You might have a retinal scan. Uh, The movies Angels and Demons has a particularly grisly example of a retinal scan. At any rate, you might have a a handprint, a fingerprint. You might have uh, um, your teeth are away that you can identify you as a human being. Your gate, of all things, is because your gate is unique to you. No one else in the world has a gate exactly like yours or exactly like mine. At any rate, biometrics is this kind of cool, interesting field. The, the, The iPhone, face recognition software that grants you access to an Apple phone. There's a number of things that make biometric in the use of a computer system important. First of all, they have to be universal, okay? You can't have a biometric that only works for one person and doesn't work for for a wide group of people because then, obviously, it would defeat the purpose of having something that was attempting to narrow things down. So it must be universal, but it also must be unique, okay? It must have a sense of permanence, so things that change, like the length of your, your arm or the length of your ear, because your ears continue to grow. My ears are bigger than they've ever been, and they'll continue to get bigger. How easy it is to collect, how well it works, okay? If it takes like five minutes to authenticate your identity with a biometric, it's probably not going to work. You're probably going to grow dissatisfied with it. You want a thumbprint, you want to be in the door, you want to be out the door, you want to gain access to the thing that you've gotten wanting to get access to. Will people go for it? Because if you can't get acceptance from your crowd, if they won't actually sign up for the biometric, then it probably won't work. There's a danger side that you want to avoid, and that is how easy it is to defeat, how easy it is to work around the biometric. Now, in one breath, we would say, my hand geometry identifies me. No one else in the entire world has a hand that looks like this. If you look at your hand, your hand identifies you. Your thumbprint identifies you. Your iris, your retina, they all identify you. But do these things define who we are? Hello, old friends. It's really good to see you once again. Three months ago, I invited you to pray for me. I said I wanted to walk with God for 30 days and see what happened. I actually walked for 31 days, and and it was was good, right? I I covered roughly 950 kilometers, just under 590 miles. I say roughly because the actual route is closer to 900 kilometers. Um, It's just that the first day I got lost. Actually, it was the only day that I got lost, but it was the first day. After the day was over, I write this, about to set off, okay, so I knocked out the first 11.6 kilometers in two hours, which wasn't bad, thinking that I would have lunch in Roxvalis. The next 12 kilometers took me six hours, mainly because I walked more than 12 kilometers, and somewhat because there existed some very aggressive grade. Now, I got into um, saint jean pied de Port on, on Saturday evening, the 28th. I was jet lagging a little bit, and, and, and I'm picked up by Jean-Francois, who I'm um, staying at his bed and breakfast. Um, and I'm the only guest in the place, and so he picks me up at the train station. It's raining cats and dogs, and, um, and he's like, would you like something to eat? And I said, yes, I'd love something to eat. And he's like, do you want to pick up a pizza on the way home, or I can make something for you? Well, I'm going to choose a Frenchman's cooking over a pizza that I would pick up at a store any day. And so I said, yeah, I would love. Now, I found out after the fact that he and his wife, former wife actually, owned a Michelin-starred restaurant in Paris a number of years earlier. But that's an entirely different story. So we show up, right? And we get to his place and he makes me what I would have a few times during the trip. Basically, it's a... It's a, a a vegetable omelet with, with potatoes and onions, obviously eggs and, and fresh bread and, and a glass of vino. And it was, just, it was just delightful. And he's like sitting there and he's like, so tell me, what are you thinking about for the route tomorrow? And I said, well, I was planning on going over the Pyrenees. And he's like, okay, well, that's, you know, that's the route most people do. Um, he's like, um, but I want to encourage you not to take that route. I'm like, oh, okay. Kind of flew a long way to take that route. He's like, well, three reasons. Number one, my my friend, who's a shepherd, has, has his sheep up in the high country. And yesterday he brought them down because the weather was kind of bad. And if weather's bad enough for sheep, then probably not good for humans. Number two, you don't know the route, which, which is true. I had read a lot about the route, but I'd never been on the route. I didn't know the route. And number three, you don't know much about traveling in the mountains. Now, this one, I'm kind of like, wait a second, buddy. You don't know who I am because actually I do know a little bit about traveling in the mountains. And I'm pretty good at traveling in the mountains. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I'm okay. Okay, I know what to do. I'm a, and I'm old enough. And then this little thing inside of my brain goes, just listen to the guy. The goal isn't to go over the Pyrenees. The goal is to make it to the Atlantic Ocean. So I'm like, okay, I'll follow your advice. I'm like, what's the other route look like? I'd done no research on it. He's like, it's super easy. It's well-marked, da 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 I'm like awesome, so I head off the next morning, seven, seven fifteen ish, and and I'm on the trail and I'm feeling great and seriously I'm just flying, okay? And there was a number of times where I'd just be flying on the trail and um, didn't meet anyone. I started before anyone else, so I didn't pass anyone. It was just a delightful walk, and and then and then I got lost. Isaiah chapter one, verse one, page five sixty six. The text are, kind of starts out at Mach 1 today, so just so you know. It's, it's kind of like hitting the gas. It's kind of like when you go snowmobiling and you duct tape down the throttle and then you start it. <laughs> the imagery, you got it? That's what we used to do at Nacon, just duct tape the throttle down, start it. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So that's a a father-son, 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 okay? Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have been like, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's kind of like, geez, Isaiah, don't hold back. I mean, like, really, what does God really think about this situation? Now, the situation is this. The nation of Israel has turned their back on God. And they're going through the motions, but they don't have a heart that is inclined to follow God. And very quickly, the heat, the weight of it, it's God crying out to the created order, saying, trees, rocks, hills, mountains, bear witness to what I have done for these people and how they have responded to me. And Isaiah reflects the words of God. A group of people created, sustained, enabled, rescued, redeemed by God now can't even recognize the Creator. They can't see it. They won't see it. Even in the face of opposition, verses 5 and 6 is viewed to be the Assyrians coming on board and destroying the country in 701 B.C. Even in the wake of being just absolutely wiped out, they still don't see it. God, through the voice box of Isaiah, says, Just stop. Just, just stop. And it's not just affecting individuals, it's affecting the country as a whole. And then there's this comparison to Sodom and Gomorrah, which you don't want to be compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, just not, it's, not, gonna, it's not in your favor, it's not a compliment. It, it's something that's designed to really get your attention. But still there's this motif of a remnant, which is frequent in all of Scripture and certainly true. In the book of Isaiah, a series of questions, rhetorical in nature, both rhetorical and sarcastic. Get a load of this in verse eleven: "What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices?" says the Lord. God doesn't want an answer. I have had enough of burnt offerings of lambs and the fat of well-fed priests. When I was gone, I, um, I read, reread the, the first five books of the uh, Old Testament, and and. Uh, so God, uh, when, when, when the Israelites would sacrifice, I, I had never seen this before, read this before, he actually wanted a little salt on the sacrifice, which, which proves, as everyone knows, meat needs a little salt. I have had enough of the burnt offerings of rams, the fat of well-fed beasts. When you come before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? sarcasm, and a rhetorical question. Br- bring no more. Don't do what you continue to do thinking that it's going to make a difference in how we work together. To stop. Their behavior is affecting God at his, at his deepest, most personal level. Verse 14, my, my soul hates, my soul hates what you are doing. Pain in this most intimate personal space, the, the, the part of, of, of the created order that, that reflects God, okay, our soul, that when we do damage to our soul, we really have done an incredible amount of damage to our lives. The deepest part of who we are, Willard argues for. God says, my soul hates your behavior. Verse 15, blood on your hands. The notion that they need to own their level of responsibility. It's a heavy set of verses. And it's addressed to the nation of Israel from God through the voice box of Isaiah. The question is, does it still apply to us today? Or is the Old Testament just that? Something that is old and not beneficial or useful for the Christian experience? Let me rephrase that because sometimes the word Christian even gets misunderstood. Is the Old Testament something that isn't beneficial for the person who desires to follow the Father, Son, and the Spirit? And this really gets at the question of identity, right? Because if this does apply to us today, then, then it invites from us the willingness to say, in which ways of my life do I reflect what is being described? Holding that thought, the antidote is this. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Okay, that makes sense, right? And then he really explains it for the nation of Israel learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. This is no way, shape, or form meant to be political commentary on what we are um, experiencing today. I just want to tell you that in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel repeatedly gets in trouble for how they treat the widow the immigrant, and the orphan, the sojourner in their land, the person who isn't nationally identified with the nation of Israel, but who resides, for whatever reason, within the borders or comes into those borders. That's the Old Testament. That's the heart of God. Now, again, I am not trying to wade into the immigration debate that we face today. I do want our debate to be informed by what scriptures say. Just like when we talk about issues of life, I want the debate to be informed by what the Bible says about how we should value life. And you can't escape the reality. When I was on the trail, okay, so I got this sense of what it's like to be an immigrant, to be an orphan, to be a sojourn, okay? I'm walking through, right? And, and, and the language around me isn't English, at times, it isn't Spanish. Sometimes it was Bass. Sometimes it was Galatian. Okay? And, and, and it was in, it, Etruscan. It was, it was intriguing, right? Because at first, it's kind of like, oh, wow, that's interesting. But, but after a couple of days, all you wanted to do, all I wanted to do was find, find a bar that I could sit in and listen to American pop music. <laughs> Be, because... Being a foreigner in a strange land? It, 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 it really gets on you really, really quick. And again, I'm not attempting to wade into a political agenda, but I did have this thought, okay? Say, say, that, say, that, I'm, say that I'm bear hunting, okay? And I'm bear hunting with my family, okay? But I've lost my gun, and now the bear is chasing me. And I'm going through the woods with my family, okay? And the bear's chasing me, okay? He's coming after me. He's chasing me, chasing me, chasing me. And I come up to this big, huge, tall fence, okay? And I don't speak German or read German, but I see the words verboten, und verboten, okay? And then just like clearly no one wants me to go over the fence. But there's a bear behind me and I've lost my gun. And so what am I gonna do? yeah, I'm going to take my kid and throw him over the fence because what's behind me is going to kill me. Again, the political realities in which we live today are incredibly complex, okay? And and there are good people in this room who would weigh in on this debate from a political perspective. And, And please, man, I do not relish the decisions that politicians have to make concerning these issues. I do pray for them. But I want our attitudes and thoughts to at least be informed by how God views the widow and the orphan and the immigrant. And I want to be safe. And I don't want to fear. I get all of that. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. This is what God tells Isaiah to tell the nation of Israel so that they can quit doing evil. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. It's really a pretty good deal. (laughs) I mean, this is like an absolutely phenomenal deal. This is like the best deal that's ever been offered to anyone. Truth be told, we don't fully know how the deal works. We don't fully understand how God can say these words through the voice box of Isaiah and spend time explaining in this book how this reality of us being distant from God can come close to God. But God says, that's what I'm willing to do. I want you to come close to me. I want you to be in relationship with me. I don't want you to just go through the motions of life. I want you to live life with me and let me live life with you. And when we do that, this thing called redemption, the reality of getting cleaned up, the focus of our lives, turning from evil and turning towards good, Being willing, being obedient. God says, You and I, irrespective of what exists in the past, can live together. And to me, that's absolutely amazing. So I knock off the first 12 kilometers in roughly two hours, which is a pretty good pace. Um, Not a phenomenal pace, but I am moving through hilly country, and so it's a pretty good pace, and I'm feeling pretty good, and I'm thinking that I'm going to be having lunch, I'm going to be having lunch in my ending spot, okay? I want to make it to Roxvallis, um, and and really when I pass that 12-kilometer mark, I I only have about 9 or 10 kilometers left, and so really I should be there. I should be there in a couple hours, right? I should be there for lunch. In fact, the thought even goes into my brain, maybe I should try to go to the next town because I want to knock this thing out a little bit quicker than how the guidebooks want you to knock it out. So I get to the top of the climb, right? And I'm standing in this chapel area, okay, outside of this chapel. And, and all of a sudden, just everything kind of goes a little bit weird. The, the fog comes in, the temperature drops, it's lightly snowing, things aren't super clear. But still, you can see the trail markings. And, 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 and after the fact, I realize that at this point, I'm less than two kilometers away from my destination. Do the math. 2 times 0.6, 1.2 miles. So I'm closer to my destination then than I am to my house right now. So I'm looking for the next trail marker, right? And the trail marker on the Camino are pretty well um, understood. They're a yellow arrow pointing in the direction you should go. But this particular stretch of trail also had what looked to be an equal sign with a white stripe on the top and a red stripe on the bottom. And you follow that as well as the yellow error. And so I look around, okay, and the fog's coming in and it's cold and I want to get moving. And, and, but I'm unfamiliar with the trail because I haven't read about that portion of the trail. i would educated myself on the other part of the trail. And I'm looking around, okay, and I see a red cross with a white cross. And I'm like, okay, don't go there. And then sure enough, over here, I see the equal sign. I'm like, oh, that's the way I go. <clears throat> I take off because I'm close. I know I'm close. Six hours later, I'm still not close. Now, you may be thinking, geez, John, when you got to the high point and you didn't know where you were at, why didn't you just take out your guidebook? That's tough to disagree with that. Thanks for the help now. Obviously, I made it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but I think we do that. I think we get going with life. And we think we're moving in the right direction and that everything is just, wow, well, it's going great. Walking fast, covering a lot of territory. Now we walk down the wrong pathway and we don't even know we're on it. Till hours later, we we're certain we're lost. Yeah, why didn't I read the guidebook? <laughs> Stupidest thing not in, the, in the world not to do. Why didn't I just stop right then, take out a down jacket, put it on, read the guidebooks, be warm, be safe, walk the two kilometers down the hill to my destination? You know where I'm going, right? Do I even have to say it? Isaiah draws our eyes and our attention to a people who lived a long time ago, who were going through all the emotions of life but didn't give a lick about the things that God cared about. And I'm not saying that's us. I'm not saying that's not us. What I'm saying is I think this 20 verses has a lot for us. And that the thoughtful person would say, hey, maybe I should evaluate life. Maybe I should compare the path that I'm on with the guidebook and what it says. Maybe I should get in a better spot with God than I am right now. And likewise, there's some of us who struggle each and every day with whether or not we're good enough for God, whether or not we've done enough for God, whether or not we'll do enough for God. And likewise, the text, it's right there. God's like, hey, come on. Even though you were like this, you're now like this. And even though you used to do this, now you're doing this. And we're in relationship. You're willing, you're obedient. Rest in that confidence. There's all sorts of ways that we can describe ourselves, the breadth of our hand, what our iris looks like, what our retina looks like, what our thumbprint looks like, what our face looks like. But those things don't define us. The only meaningful definition for a human being, for you and me, is where we sit in our relationship with the God of the universe. It's really good to be back. I really miss this place. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you challenged by the text. It's, it's bracing, Father. You do not pull any punches. You flat out put it out there. And for some of us, there needs to be some big adjustment. For most of us, there probably needs to be a small adjustment. Maybe in the way we think about this or that or the media that we consume, the opinions we listen to, those that we allow to have sway in our lives. But let us all know, the hope that you provide, the reality of being in relationship with you, the reality of the atonement, that the pain of the past, the misbehavior of the present can be as white as wool, fresh as pure snow. Father, thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.